Well, we are uh, continuing this, uh, this series uh, called Storyline, and uh, man, what we're doing is we're spending this year just looking at, at, at these main stories, and we're, we're missing a lot. We're skipping a lot here to kind of narrow down the Bible in just 44 weeks, and uh, that's why we have the Bible recap class at 1045 to kind of fill in the blanks. Um, but we're looking at this storyline, this thread that runs throughout the entire Bible that points us to Jesus. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at the Old Testament character of King Saul, okay? Uh, and King Saul, not to be uh, confused with Saul of the New Testament. And, and that's, that's what I thought growing up. I thought, man, this guy lives a long time, you know, to go from, you know, the first king of, the, uh, of Israel to, you know, the greatest missionary, Saul, who became Paul, uh, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. Two different people, okay? Uh, we have, so we're talking about, you know, Saul of the Old Testament, not Saul who became Paul of the New Testament. And, um, and to give you a little background, when, when God first established the nation of Israel, he did not want them to have a king. Okay, he wanted to uh, use judges uh, to be the legal voice of people. He wanted to use prophets to speak to the people. And he wanted to use priests for the people to represent, uh, for, to, to represent the people uh, to God. And that, that's how he wanted Israel to operate. He wanted to be Israel to be unique than any other nation. But the, uh, the, the Israelites, when they became a nation and got comfortable, they started looking around at other nations and saw that they had kings. And so they decided they wanted to have a king. And so they kept begging God, you know, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. And finally God relents and says, okay, uh, I'll give you a king, but I want to warn you up front, you're not going to like it. It's not going to work out well for you. And uh, shortly after that, Saul is chosen as king. Now, Saul starts out his reign as king as a pretty good king. Uh, he feels unworthy of the position uh, to be king. He's uh, very humble uh, as he starts out. And he, and, and he treats his challengers with a lot of mercy. Um, but, but Saul, over time, became a power-hungry Angry, evil tyrant. And so we, we kind of look at this, this one story of where it all starts and ask the question, how did, how did he go from being a pretty decent king to, to being the tyrant that he is and, or that he, that, that, that he became? And what the passage tells us this morning is that Saul's evil behavior, and, and let's just go ahead and inject our, us into the story here. Not only Saul's evil behavior, but also our evil behavior is the result of our ability to se of self-deception. It's our ability to deceive ourselves. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And the passage that tells us three things about self-deception. And let me just give them to you up front. We'll unpack them as we go along. Uh, but this morning in, in this passage, we're going to see the capacity for self-deception because we all have it. Okay. So let's just be honest with ourselves this morning. Uh, the, the capacity for self-deception. Then there's the structure of self-deception. And what does that look like in Saul's life? And what does it look like in our lives? And also there's a solution. And that's the good news, and that's the reason why we came this morning, is the solution for our own self-deception. And I'll tell you up front, it's not self, because self can't help self, okay? So, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to your table of contents and find the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 
1 Samuel chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning as, uh, as we look at uh, self-deception, not only in Saul's life, but also in our lives. So if you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, as we talk about the capacity of self-deception. So <coughs> in, um, in God gives Saul a, a mission in, in verse 18, okay? If you read the story, and in verse 18, God tells King Saul that he is to completely destroy um, the evil and violent Amalekites. And uh, God says to King Saul, when you defeat them, okay, and you're going to defeat them because I'm, I'm going to give you this battle. When you defeat them, I don't want you to leave one single person or one single animal alive. I want you to eliminate them from the face of the earth. And we hear that and we think, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible, okay? And it does sound terrible, but we have to put ourselves in the cultural context of the passage because in this day and time, uh, people associated a powerful army with a powerful God, a powerful nation with a powerful God. And, and so God is saying to King Saul and he's saying to the to Israelites, this is an act of justice, Okay, don't confuse this with imperialism because it's not imperialism. This is an act of justice. And God says to Israel, you are not to profit from this use of force. You're not to take one slave. You're not to take one, one animal. You're not to take livestock. You're not to take treasures. You're not to take possessions. You're not to take artifacts. Do not profit one cent from this act of justice. Now, unfortunately, Saul didn't listen to God. And unfortunately, Saul became very much like the Amalekites and he did exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. He did exactly what God told him not to do. And as a result, what we see is that God rejects Saul as king. In other words, you know, Saul, your, your, your lineage is not going to stay on the throne of Israel. So, so the reason why Saul became like the Amalekites is because he was deceiving himself, okay? And let's, let's kind of look at that. Look at verses 19 and 20. So Samuel, he's a prophet, okay? God's speaking to him. He speaks to the people. Samuel hears what Saul has done. He's not obeyed uh, God. And so he, he goes and seeks Saul out and he finds Saul and he says, why did you not obey? Underline that word. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And Saul replied, but I did obey the Lord. And I went, on the I went on the mission the Lord assigned me and I completely destroyed the Amalekites and I brought back their king, Agog. Now, in, 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 the, in the Hebrew language, there's not a word for obey. And the word that, uh, that the writer uses here is the word listen. And so what, what Samuel says, he goes up to Saul and he says, why did you not listen to God? And, and, and Saul says back to Samuel, but I did listen to God. And then we have Samuel's response in verse 22. It says, but Samuel replied to Saul, he says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And, and this word heed, it literally means to grasp. It means to be impacted or uh, to be affected by. 
And you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, that we should be uh, impacted, we should be affected by the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ. And, but what this text is telling us in the context of King Saul and in the context of our lives is you and I, we have the ability to hear but not hear. Right, guys? I mean, we're, we're, we, we are masters at this. I mean, we can hear but not hear. Okay, that uh, that we can know and not know. In other words, we really don't want to hear. We really don't want to know because uh, (coughs) the truth is too painful. See, the human heart has an almost unlimited capacity to hide the truth from itself when the truth is too painful. That the human heart, it, it has this almost unlimited capacity to hide the truth from itself when the truth is too painful. That self-deception is not the most terrible thing that you and I can do. Okay, it's not. It's not the most terrible thing we can do. But it is the reason why we do terrible things. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have this infinite capacity to hide from ourselves what we know to be true. And as a result, we end up justifying the things that we know that are wrong. So, so that's, the, that's our capacity to deceive ourselves. We end up rationalizing the things, justifying the things that we know are, are, are wrong. And, and so we talk about the structure of self-deception. Okay, look at, look at verse 13. So when Samuel reached Saul, okay, so we're backing up a little bit. Samuel, he hears what Saul's done. He, he didn't do what God told him to do. Samuel goes and he finds Saul. And when Samuel, reached, when Samuel reached Saul, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. I mean, notice that Samuel hadn't even said anything yet, okay? So Samuel, so Saul had, Samuel hadn't said anything and Saul just blurts out, the Lord bless you. Right? It's kind of like our kids, when they know that they did something, you know, and, and, and we did it wrong and we come home and they're like, mom, dad, the house is clean. You know, we know something's up. Okay. It's like, what did you do? Okay. How long is it going to take me, you know, to find out? Or it's like, mom, dad, I cleaned your car. I'm like, I didn't ask you to clean the car. So what happened to the car? Okay. That's what I want to know. This is what Saul's like. Samuel doesn't say a word. And he says, and he goes up and he says, I listened. I listened to the voice of the Lord. And Samuel knows, Samuel knows he didn't listen to the voice of the Lord. Samuel knows that, that uh, Saul didn't obey God or listen to God. And see, self-deception is our ability to justify things that we know are not right. And we have this enormous capacity to ignore what we know is true. And there's two ways that we kind of do this in our lives, okay? And, and Saul does it the same way. Number one is through blame shifting. Is when we ignore what's true, when we ignore the, the things that are wrong in our lives, it, it, it's usually we do it through blame shifting. Now look at verse 14. So um, Samuel said, but Samuel said, what then? So, so Saul says, I've listened to the Lord. I did what the Lord said. And Samuel said, what then this, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul says, I've listened to the Lord. And Samuel says, well, if you listen to the Lord, Saul, why do I hear these animals? Because as I remember, you know, the Lord instructed you not to leave one single animal alive. Yet I hear animals. All right. So verse 15, 
so uh, Saul, Saul said, answered, he says, but the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. I, I, I didn't do it. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites and, and they spared the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. And so Saul, he, he, here in the original text, he doesn't say the soldiers. It, it, it's, it's the word they. It's a very generic, very general they. In other words, he's saying, I don't even know who brought them back. Okay, I, 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 but I didn't do it. But, then, but, they did, but now that they're here, they're actually the best animals. And so we, we use blame shifting. We blame other people. And it's like, you know, we ask our kids, well, you know, what did you do? He was like, well, I didn't do it. My sister did it. Well, I didn't do it. My brother did it. I, I mean, you know, we're shifting the blame. Well, it's not my fault. It's my friend's fault. And we constantly shift the blame to ignore what's true. The second thing that we use to ignore truth in our lives is morality and religious activity. That Saul says, you know, basically says, hey, it, it was they. They did it, not me. They did. But now that they're here. Now that we have the animals here, look how good the animals are. I mean, we saved the best one. And it's like Saul is saying, you know, Samuel, we're going to have this great service, this great worship service, and we're going to sing songs, and we're going to sacrifice the best of animals, and we want you to preach. Since you're here, you're the prophet, we want you to deliver the sermon. So we can use religion to justify our behavior. In other words, we know, we know there's things in our lives that we're doing that, that don't align themselves with the teachings of Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, name them out loud, but we know. But then we'll, we'll rationalize it with religious activity and say, well, you know, at least I go to church. I know I'm not supposed to be doing that, but, you know, I give a lot of money. I, I know that this thing, you know, in my life isn't, isn't you know, the best and it's really not right. And, uh, but, but at least I'm not doing what they're doing. So we rationalize it. And we, we, try to align, we try to find somebody, when we know what we're doing is wrong, we try to find somebody that we know we're doing better than. Well, at least we're not doing that, you know. At least I'm not doing this. And so we use morality and religious activity. And Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, the capacity in our lives, that, that it's this capacity in our lives that makes it possible for us to rationalize our sin. And, and until we get serious, until we are willing to nail down and identify what that is in our lives and repent of it, to ask God to search our hearts, say, Holy Spirit, show me in my heart what, what, what I'm doing, what, I, what is wrong, what's sinful, what doesn't align with the teachings of Jesus and reveal that to me. And until we're ready to ask, to really search our hearts and to repent of it, saying, God, I don't want anything else to do with this. And I know this is going to be a process and I just can't walk away from it cold turkey. And, but I need, to, I need some help to this and I'm going to seek out some help in this. Until we're really to do that, just, we just need to know, we need to be honest with ourselves that we, we, we're harboring the capacity to do very terrible things and rationalize it. And that's what Saul did. And many times that's what I do. So, so we have this structure of self-deception, but then we have the solution to self-deception. And the solution is we have to keep digging a little bit into our hearts. And we have to 
uh, we have to understand why certain truths are too painful for us. Why we don't really want to know certain things. You see, self-deception is that infinite capacity to hide truths that are too painful for us. And we have to understand why they're too painful. I mean, it's, it's the reason why we don't go to the doctor, okay? And we, we don't really want to know what's wrong with us. It's the reason why we don't take our cars uh, to the mechanic when the check engine light comes on. Uh, I see a lot of this right now, okay? Um, a lot of this going on right now. A lot of pointing right now. Um, you know, it, it's, we don't want to know what's true. We want to deny. We, wanna, we don't want to know. That may be too painful. It may be too painful news to hear if I go to the doctor and really find out. Uh, it may be too painful uh, financially to hear what's wrong with the car if we take it in right now. And, and so we avoid certain things. And those are, those, those are small things in comparison to, to the truths that we hide from. But look back at verse 17 and verse 12. Look what happens in, in, in Saul's life. So we talk about this solution. Verse 17, Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, remember you felt so unworthy. Remember you tried to hide. You read the story of Saul. He tries to hide when they, when they name him king. You were once small in your, own eyes, in your own eyes. Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? You were once small. You were once a nobody, but now you're the king of Israel. Now look back at verse 12. Look what's happened to, to Saul. It says, early in the morning, Samuel got up and he went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. And there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. So, so Saul, he, he goes and he builds a mon monument to himself. And so we have to ask the question, why did Saul do this? Why did Saul keep the loot? Why did he make himself rich? Why did he keep the king, uh, a a Agog, alive? And it was to make himself a king of kings. It was, Saul, it was Saul's attempt to make himself feel important. And Samuel says, Saul, you, you were small in your own eyes, but God made you great. So why did you keep the plunder? Why, why did you build an altar? Why did you keep their king alive? Why are you still trying to make yourself look great to everybody else? Everybody else knows you're the king. Why are you trying to impress other people? You see, Saul still, still saw himself as small in his own eyes. And because he did, he used military victories. He used, he used his force. He used his, his uh, position and his power to make his name great. That he didn't allow the great and deep and infinite and vast love of God to make him great. And see, in our lives, if we don't allow God's love to make us great, the deep and vast and infinite love of God to make us great. What, will, what we will end up doing is we will end up building monuments to ourselves. Now, we may not commission a sculptor to do it. I mean, that, that would be a little egocentric, I think, uh, to put a, a monument of ourselves in our backyards. Um, but we do it with other things. Like when, to make ourselves great, we'll, we'll use titles, um, we'll use position, we'll use our power, we'll use our wealth, we'll use our relationships to puff us up, we'll use our possessions. 
We'll use our kids or our kids' success. Oh, look what my kids are doing to make us feel great about ourselves. That we'll use anything and everything at our disposal to make ourselves look good. And we will end up deceiving ourselves. And if any information comes our way that jeopardizes this monument that we have built to ourselves, we'll ignore it. See, this passage tells us that too often we remain small and insignificant because we don't allow God's love to make us great. So what's the solution? What's the solution for us this morning? And the solution is, look at the cross. Look at the cross and reflect on how great God's love is for you. See, Romans 8, 5. The apostle Paul, whose name was Saul, but not King Saul, okay? In Romans 8, chapter 5, Paul writes this. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us. His own great and deep and vast and infinite love for us. He demonstrates that. He puts it on full display for us to see every single day while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, before we ever thought about God, before we ever even turned his way, Christ died for us. That Jesus came and he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that we deserve. And when we put our faith in him, that we become alive spiritually, we become adopted sons and daughters of the one true king, heirs to his throne, ruling and reigning with him forever. Only the gospel is our solution to dismantle this amazing ability we have to deceive ourselves. And probably the biggest deception we have is that we think we're nobody. We think that we're not loved. We think that we got to prove ourselves to ourselves and to others and to God. But if we look at the cross, I mean, think about it. Just, just think about it. The deep and vast, great, infinite love of God for you. What title can we get that rivals that? What relationship can we have that would rival that? What possession could we possibly purchase that would rival that? Nothing. Nothing says that you are more approved and accepted and significant and prized and valued and cherished and loved than the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to embrace that. We need to heed that be impacted by that and say okay well how do, how do I get started sign me up how do I get started well one you pray you say God would you search my heart search my heart and two you get with a really good friend that knows you so not self okay self can't help self but you get someone else and you ask them Hey, is there anything in my life that you see that doesn't align 
with the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. You say, well, man, I don't know about that. Well, guess what? They already know, okay? And they're still loving you. They're still your friend. They're still your spouse. Maybe over a glass of wine, you, you, you say to your husband or you say to your wife, hey, is, is there any way that I treat you or any way that I speak to you that does not align with the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ? And you just sit and you be quiet. And maybe take a really long drink. Maybe parents, we say to our teenagers, hey, is there any way I ought to treat you or speak to you that doesn't align with the teachings of Jesus Christ? Teenagers, college students, maybe go to your parents. They, they, they love you more than anybody else. And you say, is there anything in my life that doesn't align with the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ? let them speak truth and we receive that truth we view it through the lens of the love of God and know that there's nothing you can do because God didn't love you any less than he does any less and there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you any more than he does right now his love for you is deep and vast and great and infinite. There's nothing that can take that away. So let's not deceive ourselves and let's press into the cross.